0: Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.
1: Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson.
2: Yesterday, the Supreme Court denied a request. ...to put the new Texas abortion ban on hold. Uh, They filed this request with a 5-4 decision, including the Chief Justice uh, weighing in on the minority side. So this, as we all know, is a hot issue. So we want to take a deep breath and go beyond the headlines. We're going to do that today with Kelsey Dallas, who's a Deseret News reporter. And she's here to help us break down what's happened... Uh, in the last couple of days, and also what could be coming up next for our court. So I'm going to start by asking you to give us some context about what exactly the Supreme Court did.
3: Sure. Thank you for having me on. So a new uh, Texas abortion policy took effect on September 1st, and the Supreme Court had been asked to put it on hold or not allow it to take effect as um, the battle over whether it was lawful played out in court. And the Supreme Court declined to do that. So basically what that means is that the lawsuit challenging Texas policies is ongoing. But for the near future, that ban on abortions after six weeks will remain in place in Texas.
2: So I, I love the context there. So for those of us who are watching, there's the the results of having an active law in Texas. And then for those of us who are court watching, we want to know that what they did is take a pass on opining and ruling. Now it doesn't necessarily mean they're for or against it. It means that they are not intervening at this process as, as you said, well, so maybe let's start with the uh, new Texas law and what's uh, unique about it and what's controversial about it.
3: Yeah. So Texas um, is, is far from the first state to try to, further limit um, abortion access, and they're doing it by saying that doctors are not allowed to perform abortion procedures after a fetal heartbeat can be detected, and so that would generally be around six weeks. But what's unique about this policy is that instead of saying it's up to law enforcement officers or state government officials To say, um, here's how we're going to enforce it. They put that enforcement power on individual Texas citizens and say that as a citizen, you could file a lawsuit against someone who performs an abortion or assists in someone um, getting an abortion. The one category of people it protects is the actual person who receives the abortion. So that might be complicated to wrap your head around, but basically it it empowers these citizens to take action against um, abortion on their own.
2: So isn't this so interesting? So I want to, as you said, as we all try and wrap our head around it, I'm going to break it maybe again into two different issues. And one is this unique Legal, uh, assertion that Texas is making that it will not be the state who is enforcing abortion, but rather individual citizens. And this is this new wrinkle, um, that has, uh, that they're asserting into the abortion law in Texas. I want to take this maybe into a a broader context because certainly this Texas law will, uh, follow a standard that we'll probably see over and over as there are challenges to the abortion law. And and Kelsey, I want to talk about What you see as challenges to the abortion law in a minute. But I also want to talk about uh, weighing the pros and cons of inserting a notion into law that the citizens could review it. So if I take another hot topic and I say guns, wouldn't that be interesting if this law was if it was affirmed, you could essentially do the same thing. And let's say that a state, a progressive state like New York has really progressive um, gun prevention laws or or restrictions on guns you can foresee if they set this precedent that maybe individuals in that instance would be allowed to uh to police guns at restrictions if possible so i want you to break apart into two sections maybe the abortion but also the consequences of exercising this this new way of addressing um citizens participating in their law but but hey let's let's stick with um with what will go on now. And tell us a little bit more about uh, this notion that we'll hear over and over about it came from a shadow docket. What did that mean that the Supreme Court acted from a shadow docket?
3: Oh, sure. So basically the shadow docket refers to the fact that this, was not a situation in which which the court had had several months to reflect on the legal briefs being filed, an entire hour or two in court to hear oral arguments and ask follow-up questions about those briefs. And they didn't have to sign their name and say, this is the side I'm on in this decision, although it was easy to figure it out because, as you mentioned earlier, it was 5-4 and the people who were the four identified themselves. Right, So I was like, right. OK, everybody else is in the five. <laughs> but those these shadow docket rulings are very controversial because, as I said, um, they can be very disruptive. They can have a huge impact on policy across the nation. But the Supreme Court does not have to very carefully lay out how they came to their decision decision, or um, what were the most compelling points made by the attorneys, they, um, they don't have to write that long of an opinion as they traditionally do when a case has been fully briefed and argued. And so what you're left with is just a couple of paragraphs in some cases, and you say, okay, well, what do I do with this moving forward?
2: yeah I've also heard this section described as maybe they're they're opining or they're laying opinion down when they're not formally in session right they're they're sort of doing this when they're not formally hearing cases so that's yes
3: and this was a a, a situation where their um ultimate decision on whether or not to to block that Texas policy came at just minutes before midnight on the East coast. And so a lot of people were already asleep. There was no like ability to spring into action or hold protests or something.
2: Okay. So this is, uh, this is widely accepted as an intentional move on Texas's part and an intentional move. I'm going to have you bring Mississippi into this as well, that there's a movement nationally for those, um, those who are against abortions and that they are purposely placing these bills in So that we can challenge, again, probably ultimately Roe v. Wade. So as that is the layout, tell us what's next um, and what do you see coming up on this issue?
3: Yes, as you just referenced, there's a case out of Mississippi that is about a ban uh, that's not as early as six weeks, but it's still a ban. Uh, that goes beyond what would be permitted under Roe versus Wade. And so the Supreme Court has agreed to hear that this fall. And it's sort of a direct opportunity to say, are we going to rethink uh, abortion rights in this country? So as it stands, legal precedent would say uh, uh, someone has a right to an abortion up to uh, fetal viability, which would be around 24 weeks. But when they rule on this specific case, they could say, we're gonna overturn Roe versus Wade, or we're going to rethink Roe versus Wade, and that 24 weeks number could be moved um, up earlier in the pregnancy.
2: That makes sense. So I'm gonna add here, um, as this program does, This is such an issue to take a deep breath on because I think there are passions on both sides, certainly of the issue of abortion. But we need to take those passions and and decide where you are on that issue and, and keep following this. But this is also a time to show caution about, you know, maybe the ends justifying the means, so to speak. So we also need to make sure that we're protecting our legal precedent and our legal legal systems. And this will be something we talk about more on the show. But this is a great balance in which we need to hold our great systems of government accountable, even though we have passions on the issue. Okay, we're going to take another turn here and coming up next, Weber County. It's shedding off some water for people. It started yesterday. After the break, we'll tell you what that means.
1: I'm Dave Colley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home.